Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Leanne Gardner is an MTSU alum and former employee of the Tennessee Civil War National Heritage Area, who has spent the last several years researching African-American benevolent societies and cemeteries. And the information is compiled in a new book called To Care for the Sick and Bury the Dead, African-American Lodges and Cemeteries in Tennessee. We'll talk to her about her research after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Research conducted by graduate students in MTSU's public health program within the Department of Health and Human Performance swept the top prizes at the university's annual Research and Creative Activity Scholars Week event in the graduate level College of Behavioral and Health Sciences category. Public health students presented 10 projects at the event, each consistent with the program's aim to, quote, engage in collaborative research and other evidence-based initiatives that help inform and communicate public health issues through a health equity lens, end quote. First place winner and public health graduate student Sherry Jernigan presented her research about the impacts of health literacy and cultural competency on the disease management of type 2 diabetes. And MTSU had a major hand in the success of the recent fourth annual STEM Expo for Rutherford County Middle and High School students. MTSU's College of Basic and Applied Sciences provided a $1,000 scholarship to the Best of Show recipient. In addition to being judges for more than 130 projects, MTSU faculty and students also mentored and advised many of the 300 students from 14 county schools. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Leanne, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for asking me. This covers a period between 1865 and 1930, as I understand it. And this is really about how African-Americans improvised to take care of their own because Jim Crow laws did not give them entree to the, the kinds of services that white society enjoyed as a matter of course, right? Yes, correct. Um, these benevolent society and fraternal lodges acted as a safety net for their members. They provided sickness benefits, Uh, They would bury you if you died. They would care for your widow or your children. And many of them um, also offered cemeteries to their members as places to be buried. It's not surprising to me that many uh, African-American founded insurance companies and funeral homes exist to this day. Uh, I believe that they are, uh, a good many of them anyway, are probably the modern day legacy of this type of service, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Many of the African-American insurance companies in particular do owe their roots to these type of organizations. How would they work? How would they organize and get together to uh, decide uh, what kind of services they would provide and, and who would make the decisions and that kind of thing? Sure. So many of the benevolent groups, such as the Benevolent Society, they would uh, a lodge would be formed in a town or a small or a community, and then the group would decide what they offered. So the Benevolent Society would offer a sickness benefit as well as a burial benefit. So if you became ill and couldn't work, 
there was actually something called a sick committee of the Benevolent Society Lodge who would come out and they would send a representative out, check on you, see how you were feeling. And then um, usually they would make a determination um, like to make sure that there wasn't anything you were doing to contribute to not being able to work or you weren't uh, budging the illness, so to speak. And then they would start paying your benefit. And these benefits weren't terribly large, uh, let's say a dollar, two dollars a week. But at that time, they could really make the difference, you know, to help make sure you have food on your table when you're out of work. And then uh, when something happened and let's say if you died, the, uh, some of them would offer, would either pay a lump sum to uh, those you left behind and that lump sum will be used to bury you. Or if they had a cemetery, they would take over your burial and they often had a burial ritual. So they would come and enact the burial ritual as part of the funeral and then take your body to the cemetery to be buried. Were these widespread throughout Tennessee and were they, uh, were they public or did they have to be clandestine? Yes, they were widespread throughout Tennessee. I've been researching these groups uh, for over a decade, and I have found more than uh, 700 lodges, I believe, that existed in Tennessee. Um, and some of these lodges were part of a larger fraternal group, like the Prince Hall Masons or the Odd Fellows, something we're all familiar with. And some were more local and just confined to that one town. And they were fairly out in the open. I mean, many of them had their articles of incorporation filed with the state. Um, they had, you know, they were recording their deeds. Their, uh, sometimes their doings, what they were up to was reported on in the newspaper as well. Um, later in the African-American National Globe, but also sometimes in the white papers as well would talk about if, um, their different uh, parades they had or celebrations, things of that nature. Where did they get the money to help take care of the sick and, and bury the dead? Did they just pass the hat or did they hold uh, events such as bake sales? How, where did the money come from? All of the above. So to join these groups, you paid an initiation fee and then you would have monthly dues. Um, sometimes a lodge might have a special what they would call tax if they were raising money for something in particular, such as to buy property to um create a cemetery. They also held events. They would have picnics. They would have other celebrations where they would invite like the larger community that wasn't perhaps part of their lodge to come. And you could, you know, they would pay a small fee and you could take part in the dinner or uh, some of them held dances, things like that to help raise money for their organization. Now, could they get uh, white physicians to care for the sick? Uh, or could they get white uh, funeral homes to properly embalm the dead? I mean, we're talking about where a, a society where there was not all that much professional interaction in that way. And I wouldn't imagine that every community in Tennessee had a, an African-American physician or uh, an African-American funeral home. How did that play out? Um, you know, I haven't studied the funeral home aspect as closely, but I would think in the 19th century, you know, there just weren't many funeral homes in general in rural Tennessee, um, no matter if you were white or black. So they probably weren't embalmed, you know, that their family or the lodge would take care of uh, taking care of the deceased and preparing the body for burial. And as far as doctors, you know, it really depended on the location. There were some groups, I know in Memphis, there were a couple of lodges that would pay for a doctor. 
um, that they had like on call almost. Um, but I haven't, you know, if there were more rural areas, they didn't have the same access to healthcare. That is absolutely true. Would people sell them property? Would white people who were landed sell them property for their cemeteries? The cemeteries were not integrated until much later, right? Correct. So it seems like for the um, lodges that had cemeteries, there's a mix of who sold them the property. Sometimes it was a white farmer or someone in the area, and sometimes it was an African-American who sold the property. There's um, a cemetery over in Mount Juliet that uh, the head of the lodge was a man whose last name is Lester, and he is the one who sold the property to the lodge uh, to create the cemetery. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Expanding Your Horizons is an annual hands-on science and math conference for middle and high school girls. EYH enables girls to investigate careers in science and math and to talk with female leaders in those fields that are so essential to our nation's future. EYH also provides the girls with fun, hands-on activities and allows them to meet girls with similar interests. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte gross EYH Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking with Leanne Gardner, who is an MTSU alumna and author of the book, To Care for the Sick and Bury the Dead, African-American Lodges and Cemeteries in Tennessee. So how did you go about your research? What kinds of primary sources uh, did you look at? And and, uh, did your prior work at the Tennessee Civil War National Heritage Area uh, benefit you in this project? Yeah, so um, the primary sources I've used were, were varied. I do a lot of deed research to confirm that a cemetery was indeed created by a lot, an African-American lodge. Uh, there's also, I've used um, city directories from the 19th and early 20th century in the larger towns to find like the location of lodge buildings and things like that. I use a lot of census data. I also have used uh, digital Sandburn maps and other um, maps of the period to try to locate uh, where these um, organizations were at. I also used um, Secretary of State Articles of Incorporation. A lot of these lodges would formally incorporate with the state and they filed their articles. Um, And those were really a treasure trove of information you wouldn't think they would be since they're a legal document, but they would have the name of the trustees of the original lodge as well as what their purpose was which is very, very useful. And then, um, yes, my work at formerly at the um, Tennessee Civil War National Heritage Area and the Center for Historic Preservation was of great benefit. It really helped me, uh, uh, I I was able to travel the state and see a lot of communities. And so as I've worked on this, I would file notes like, oh, check this community, just check on their lodge activity or follow up to see if there's, if that cemetery I had visited, um, who had established it. Did you use GIS to try to locate some of these places? Because I imagine some of these cemeteries were way out in the country. 
I have, yes, when it's available. So every cemetery I talk about in my book, I've personally visited. And um, I have a form that I created that I use to collect information about each place. And one of the things I collect is GIS information, like uh, GPS coordinates, uh, just so that I have it in my records, how to get there, because I'm terrible with direction. And I was afraid I would never be able to go back if I went somewhere, especially if it was particularly rural, and I would never find my way back. Some of this information probably has been lost to time over the years. I mean, some of it I'm sure has been passed down to descendants through writings and Bibles and lore and oral history and all that kind of thing. But then some of these cemeteries might not have been all that well tended over the years because people had to get on with their lives, people moved to other places and so forth. So how did you deal with the hit and miss kind of uh, aspect of unearthing this information. Pardon me, that was a bad pun. I didn't mean to say it that way. You know, it is something I I still struggle with to make sure I, and I do try to be really explicit in the book. I think there are a lot more of these cemeteries out there than I've identified. But as you say, over time, that information has become lost to families and to the communities. Like the community knows that cemetery is there, but they may not be aware that it was created by a lodge or that it was used by a lodge. Uh, There is an example I talk about in my book in Memphis, there's a cemetery um, known as the Union Forever Cemetery. That's how it's identified in the property assessor's records. Uh, Memphis, Shelby County has like a GIS tied with their property assessor website. So you can, you know, find the location. And when I went to it, that property was listed for sale and there was no indication that it's a cemetery because I think there aren't many visible markers remaining. And so that information, I'm sure that community there just, you know, people have moved away. They don't realize, hey, that might be a cemetery that looks just like an abandoned piece of property. Are these places still in existence? I mean, are there lodge houses? Did they build their own lodge houses or did they hold lodge meetings in each other's homes over the years? Uh, How much of, of these places that you have researched actually still exist and are functioning in the 21st century? There are more lodges than I would have originally assumed that are still in existence, um, that the lodge still meets. Now, sometimes they no longer have a lodge building. There's an example down in Shelby County. There was a Pole Bearers Number 9 lodge, and their lodge actually burned in like 2018 or so. And instead of rebuilding another building, they have just elected to build a picnic pavilion because that better serves what the lodge does now. They just, from my understanding, come together on a regular basis and in more of a social nature. Other places like up in Port Royal, there's the very active Benevolent Society Lodge, and they have a cemetery with a lodge right beside it that's still active, still ongoing. They still are very active in their community. But a lot of the other ones, uh, particularly for the Benevolent Society, the lodge no longer seems to be in existence, and the lodge building has. Um, If it was beside the cemetery, it's no longer there. Were the lodge buildings, those that existed, and the cemeteries, Were they the targets of vandalism and arson and just sheer out and out racist meanness over the years? The Benevolent Society Lodge in Port Royal, they still had their original lodge building that was built in 1908. Their lodge is older than that, but um, their lodge had started in the 1870s. In 
the town of Port Royal. And then um, in the early 1900s, they had bought property outside of town and had moved their lodge there and had built a, a two-story frame building and established their cemetery. And in the 90s, that lodge building was burned during that spate of church burnings uh, by white supremacists. And so that original lodge building was lost, but they rebuilt. And what's really interesting, so their current lodge building is brick and they have chosen to commemorate like what happened because they have on where you normally have a cornerstone they have reproduced a picture of the original lodge and have it there and there's a a, another like placard that talks about original lodge building erected 1908 burned 1994 rebuilt 2001 so yeah there are some that have definitely been the targets of unkind acts do the lodges that still exist, the organizations, how good are they at being keepers of their own history? So the ones that continue to exist are are usually very good keepers of their history. They, you know, they still have all their documents, they have their information. Um, It's the ones that have ceased to exist that unfortunately, you know, it's hard to recreate what's happened to them. Like our, the one that we had in Murfreesboro, uh, the Benevolent Society Lodge Number 11, uh, my understanding is all their records burned in fire in the 1950s were um, held at a doctor's house and his house burned. We lost all their records. There's also the um, Grand United Order of Oddfellows, which was the African-American Oddfellows. All their lodges had ceased to exist in Tennessee, but within the last year or so, they have reformed and they're reinstituting lodges in Tennessee. Now, unfortunately, they don't know a lot about like the historic lodges that were here. Um, So it's really hit or miss. I wish there was a repository somewhere that had a lot of this information, but for most of the groups, there just isn't a lot of information out there. Time now for another break. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. TERA wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to TERA, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The book is called To Care for the Sick and Bury the Dead, African-American Lodges and Cemeteries in Tennessee. And the author is MTSU alumna Leanne Gardner, who used to work for the Tennessee Civil War National Heritage Area and the Center for Historic Preservation, both of which are intimately connected with MTSU. Tennessee is a big state. It has 95 counties. Did they communicate with one another across the counties and across the three grand divisions by, you know, telegraph or telephone once the telephone came in or uh, people visiting one another and coming back and talking to each other about what this, that, or the other lodge did. Absolutely. A great example is the Benevolent Society. So they originally started in Nashville right after the Civil War. Uh, They then created lodges throughout the state, primarily Middle Tennessee, but you do find some in West and East Tennessee. 
that group held an annual convention every year and where the convention met varied, excuse me, and they would rotate throughout the state. I had found the proceedings for their 1926 convention and in it they had created a system of state and field agents. So people within the organization who was responsible for a geographic area and who would go and create lodges, they would court like right to existing lodges to see if there's anything they needed to like help their lodge. They would visit them every so often, you know, and it was really fascinating how much they do seem to communicate with each other. Uh, There's another example, the Mosaic Templars, which started in Arkansas, but we had a number of lodges here in Tennessee. And I've come across letters where the head of the state Mosaic Templars is writing to local lodges and like West Tennessee and other places, planning a visit where he can come out and meet the heads of local lodges and talk about any issues they're facing. So they really did communicate. They traveled the rails. They wrote to each other. They put clippings in the newspaper to like inform people what was going on. So they really did stay in communication with each other. Over the years, and it is still largely true today, as we know, women end up being the caretakers of the children, of the sick, going over to other people's houses and bringing pies and whatever when somebody passes away. So did these lodges have women's auxiliaries? Yes, many of them did have women's auxiliaries. The Prince Hall Masons, they have the Order of the Eastern Star. Other groups, it was more integrated. So I I always go back to the Netherlands Society, but sometimes they would have a men's lodge, a separate women's lodge, and then sometimes they had mixed lodges where men and women met together. Women were actually very involved in lodges, often taking leadership roles. Sometimes they would be the head of a lodge. Down in Shebelville, the African-American Lodge Cemetery down there is Mount Ararat, and it was established by the Ladies Benevolent Society, number 44. In Nashville in the 1870s, there was a Women's Benevolent Society who shared a facility with the Men's uh, Benevolent Lodge, and they went in together to buy a cemetery. And later, the men decided came in one day and said, you're no longer going to be separate. We're going to be in charge. And the women sued them and took them all the way to the Supreme Court to fight for their right to be separate and to manage their own affairs. And they won. So women were very involved in lodges and in lodge leadership. Did you take any pictures along the way? Is your book illustrated? Do you have photographs? Yes, I took pictures, uh, probably have thousands of pictures at this point. And yes, my book does have um, illustrations throughout reproductions of the photos to show what some of these cemeteries look like or to illustrate a point that I'm trying to make in the book. Did you find any old photographs that were particularly uh, illustrative or particularly helpful? You know, I didn't try to look too much for older photographs, so that would have been a great idea uh, because I feel like a lot of those are probably not in like archival repositories or they've not been marked as this is a photo of X cemetery. So I've mainly focused on taking my own photographs, but I would love to see historic photographs of some of these places to see how it's changed over time. Has the integration of the cemeteries over the years meant that uh, the land for the African-American cemeteries has grown smaller or that there are fewer of them because, or are people still burying their dead 
in the African-American cemeteries because they want them to be with their descendants and to keep that timeline of history going. These uh, cemeteries, many of them are still in active use. Um, I'm always, I want to say surprised yet not surprised when I go to visit one and I'll see evidence of a recent burial. Um, in some places where the lodge is no longer active, I really think the cemeteries have become more of a community institution, where as you say, people continue to bury there because they want to be near their ancestors. And do the families provide the upkeep on these cemeteries or do the lodges take care of it? It's really a mixed bag. In some communities, the lodge is still active and still takes care of it. In some communities, the lodge cemetery has been taken over by the town or the city. And in some places, it just seems like no one is really responsible for the upkeep. So it's really a mixed bag. Are they mostly rural or did you find any in urban areas? It's a mix. There were actually found quite a few in um, urban areas. There's at least five in Davidson County that I've found. And there's three in Memphis and several in Knoxville and one in Morristown as well. So there are definitely some that are not rural in nature. There is part of a, you know, a larger town or community. Did you do all of the research by yourself or did you have any assistance? Um, I did it all by myself. Some of the early visits when I was still at the Center for Historic Preservation, I had a colleague who was also doing field work on different projects and we would travel together uh, if we were both looking at um, resources in the same area and kind of tag team. Also with help from dragged uh, my husband and my children to several cemeteries and put them to work uh, recording information about the cemetery on the forms that I use. Is it your intention that this becomes the sort of reference book that stays on the shelf in the library until someone pulls it down and does the research on it? Or were you aiming at a different type of audience? I'm really hoping that it's used by uh, genealogists and people who are just wanting to broaden the picture of their ancestor or to learn more about lodges. Um, I had a recent event um, at Vanderbilt University at the Robert Penn Warren Center, and one of the women in attendance, she has family buried at one of these lodge cemeteries, and we were chatting afterwards, and she said how much she hadn't realized that her ancestors were a part of this lodge. In fact, I think it was her grandparents who actually established the lodge and the cemetery. And she said she found it really interesting to know more of that part of their life because she didn't know that. And that's what I'm really hoping is to give people just a a bigger picture of the type of activities their ancestors were involved in. It's those personal stories that really get your motor running, isn't it? It is. For me, it's all about the personal. Um, I, I really do try to, anytime anyone like reaches out to me, by email to say, hey, I I think I may have family in a cemetery. You know, do you know anything about that? I really do try to respond, even though I'm sometimes very slow to respond with anything I know, because the way I think about it, it's not my family. And I would want to know that, you know, when I do my own genealogical research, there are definitely ancestors that I just can't find much about that I would love any additional information, something to kind of give more context to their life. To care for the sick and bury the dead, African-American lodges and cemeteries in Tennessee by Leanne Gardner. Thanks, Leanne, for being our guest on MTSU on the Record. Thank you so much. I enjoyed this. We'll be right back. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. 
The mission of the June Anderson Center for Women and Non-Traditional Students is to provide education, advocacy, direct services, outreach, and programming for the MTSU campus and surrounding community on gender-related issues. The center also assists older students who are trying to balance work, college, and family. It also sponsors a monthly legal clinic, career brown bag series, book club, and a newsletter twice a year. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Stephanie Barrett has the middle moment. MTSU's research status was recently elevated to a high research activity or R2 level by Carnegie classification. Only 3% of higher learning institutions hold this designation. University President Sidney A. McPhee spoke at the announcement about the far-reaching positive impacts of MTSU's high-quality education and research efforts. For almost 110 years, graduates of this great institution have distinguished themselves as engaged citizens who respond to the challenges and the opportunities facing humanities. And each and every day, our alums across the state and literally around the world apply those education they have earned right here at MTSU on this campus They have applied them in many ways, including to research and discovery uh, projects, to promote innovation and innovative solution, and to achieve the greater good. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.